0: The secret is the series that we've been working through, and if you can believe it, I cannot, but we are on week seven of this. I never said I was going to do a series longer than four weeks when I first came, because this is California, and if I get, you know, I'm a t-ball coach now, can you believe it? I coach t-ball, yeah, and um, yeah, crazy, and you know what, trying to get four and five year olds to stand in a line is like trying to get a bunch of cats to stand in a line. You cannot do it. It's not possible. They just wander off. They lick them. No, I'm just kidding. That's cats, right? But they do crazy things, and they just will not do it. And so Californians, I know, we have a hard time making commitments of more than several weeks. It's been a real challenge for us to actually get people to come on a regular basis. But here we are, week seven. You did it. Wow, if you've been here all seven. Listen, when we get to nine, I know I don't believe in gold stars. I don't like gold stars. But we got to get gold stars for all of you here all nine weeks. I mean, got to do something really awesome about that. Anyway, the secret... I'm being a little bit funny and a little bit not. All right, The Secret. Here's a series that we've been working through. working through this idea of understanding the book of Colossians. The reason why we decided to do this and do something very odd like do the book of Colossians is because a lot of times when we read the Bible, we read the surface ideas of the Bible, and we can understand those. We read the Bible on the surface, we do our devotions, we understand that. But what I thought was we could take a really small book of the Bible... And go a little bit deeper, go a little bit deeper and understand why Paul wrote and understand what Paul meant by writing the book of Colossians. I think and I hope that as I've been teaching through this series, that you will understand how the books of the Bible, especially the New Testament books, are written better as a result of it. In fact, your life will be much better off if you understand a little bit of the deeper aspects of the Bible because you'll be able to better apply it to your lives. Let me give an example. Most, the average Christian just flips open the Bible, picks a verse at random and reads it without any context or understanding what the background is. It's not wrong, but it's kind of like going when you go to In-N-Out and ordering the fries and the milkshake, but not the burger. You need some meat with it too. You need some meat with the good stuff. So this is what we've been doing, working through this series, a nine week series on the study of Colossians. Here's our strategy We've actually been building a house. We've actually been building a house. Why? Because when Paul wrote the letter to Colossi, he didn't write it really as a letter. I mean, it looks like a letter because he says, hey, everybody, I'm Paul. Here's my thing. And uh, here's some information. And then see you later, Paul. And it looks like a letter, but it's actually not a letter. We actually looked at a letter in the ancient world. And letters in the ancient world were just like the emails that we send today. Hey, mom, send more money. I'm in college. That's the way it was. That's the way letters were in the ancient world. Paul actually makes an argument. Something that we will read over and over and over again so it will strengthen our faith. And we have been basically building a house. Okay, let's do our Mad Libs. Everybody want to take out their Mad Libs this morning? I love Mad Libs. My son, he's four. He loves Mad Libs too. And they're a lot of fun. Now, this morning you could take... Actually, we're running out of room in our Mad Lib because we filled it mostly up. On side A of our Mad Lib... There's still some empty spots. You can put in funny phrases or adjectives or adverbs, but it won't really do you any good because that's not really what we're doing. What we're doing is we're distilling the idea of the book of Colossians into just a couple of short sentences. That way, when people ask you at work, what is Colossians about? You'll be able to tell them very simply because we all get asked that a lot. I have taken the time to handwrite in every single one of your Mad Libs this morning the answers to all the last weeks. Actually, the computer did it. But all the last weeks are written in there in a font that looks like I hand-wrote it. Anyway, on side B, there's what we're going to be talking about this morning. There's the topics that we're going to be talking about this morning, and they fit into side A. I know it's confusing, but uh, not really that confusing because we've already filled out most of it. So we're going to look at the secret. If you haven't had a chance to be here in the last couple weeks or you missed a week or two, you can read back over this and you can see what we've talked about and this idea. Now, it came to my attention this week a very sad thing, that one of our life groups was making fun of my hand motions up here on Sunday morning. I will not tell you what age that life group or maturity level that life group was, but you can guess. It wasn't our senior adult life group. So I'm going to do all the hand expressions as best as I can this morning. Here's what Paul does. Basically, he doesn't write a letter. He writes an argument that the church will read over and over and over again. He writes this letter so that we will read it over and over again and apply it to our lives. The first week, he does what? He says, hello, everybody in Colossae. I'm Paul. I've never met you. I've never met you. Okay, this is our exercise number one. Simon says. No, you don't have to do it. Just kidding. But this is what? N- number one. Hello, everybody. And then he says what? We're going to clear the ground for the house that we're going to build, for the life that we're going to build. We're going to clear the ground. And the first step of clearing the ground is what? To recognize that we are believers now. That is our starting point. We have made a commitment to Jesus. We made a commitment to Christ. Our starting point now, the place where we're going to start, where he starts the letter to Colossae, is that we are believers now. Then what do you do when you build a house? I'm not a general contractor, but basically we're going to take out the plans and we're going to look at what we're going to build. So the next step that Paul does in the letters does what? He says, listen. You need to honor God with your lives. That's what God is calling you to do. Honor God with your lives. Let's take out the plans. We're going to look. We're going to look and see what the plans are. And we're going to honor God with our lives. By the way, that week Paul says what? That you cannot honor God with your life if you don't know how to honor God to begin with. So a lot of people may say, well, I'm going to honor God in my own way. But that's like telling your wife or your husband, I'm going to love you in my own way. What does that always mean? Very selfish love honey, I'm going I'm to love you by playing video games. That shows love for you. Man, I'm going to play Civ all night long. Oh, wait, I'm doing Madden football, not Civ. But okay, I'm going to play Madden football all night long because I love you, honey, and I'm showing it with my actions. And a lot of people do that in their walk with God as well. So we're going to take out the plan. Second week, Paul says, demonstrate that you love God, honor God with your lives. That's the plan he has for you. That's the plan. The next week we did what? We poured, we put down the formwork for the foundation. Second week, Get the vision. Third week, here's the formwork. We put down the formwork. The formwork is what? We put the formwork down. The formwork is, Paul says, there's two parts to the foundation. Number one is that Jesus is God in flesh. That he is God. We talked about how in the ancient world, people looked at Zeus and they looked at a variety of philosophies to believe in God and that they considered, you know, if Jesus wanted to come along and be another God, just like Demeter, just like uh, Ares, just like Apollo, just like Hermes, just like any of these other gods. And of course, I'm picking the Greeks there. You can pick the Romans, Jews. I mean, the secular Jews, they had their ideas about God and that sort of thing. Uh, you could put Jesus alongside of that. They were polytheistic, but Paul is saying here, no, 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 that Christ is the great God. That He is the God who created everything. He is the God who is in charge of everything. There is one God, and that is He. He is the great God, and that is the one that we worship. That is the one we owe our obedience to. And the next week, fourth week, we laid the second part of foundation, which is pour the concrete into pour the concrete into the formwork. Which is what the first week of the foundation was. Jesus is fully God. And the second week is what? Jesus sacrifices for you and I. Why was this a radical idea in the ancient world? In the ancient world, none of you know this. Let me, uh, nobody knows this. The ancient world worked in a, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. I know you don't understand what that means. You don't live in a world like that. I totally get it. Let me explain why that is. I do something for you, and then you do something for me. Foreign idea, right? Totally. And so their idea was that if you wanted something good from a God, you needed to do what? Go down to the temple and make a sacrifice. Your crops didn't do well that year. Up, oh, you didn't go down and sacrifice enough. In the ancient world, everybody sacrificed for God, hoping that a God would give them something. But Jesus turned everything on its head because he said, I will sacrifice for you. And that's what's radical. Because there's nothing we can do to earn our way to God. It is only the work of Christ that allows us to know God at all. That's it. That's it. There's nothing you or I can do. Now, we talked about this is the foundation. Paul says this is the foundation of what it is to live our lives for Christ. Do we want to have a foundation made out of Play-Doh? No. A foundation made out of sand? No. A foundation made out of pizza dough? Sounds good, but it's not a good way to live our lives. Fifth week, we talked about erecting the frame. Erecting the frame, that's what you do next. Put up the two-by-fours, right? The frame is what? The secret, Paul says, of the Christian life is that Christ lives in you. Some of us here are like... Pastor, I heard that in Sunday school. I don't need you to tell me that. But here's the radical difference. In the ancient world, people believed that there was no way that the great God could have anything to do with sickly, broken human flesh because people in the ancient world died very early. Diseases were rampant. There was no modern medicine. There was, no, there was nothing. There was no hope. There was no Lance Armstrong. I can defeat cancer and the French standing on my head 8,000 times at the age of 100. He could. I'm sure he could. And yet the truth of the matter is that's not the way it was in the ancient world. And so they thought that the body was weak and the spirit was strong. That's where that idea comes from. And yet Christ says, listen, I am dwelling in you that even though I am fully God and I am the one who created the universe, that I am a part and parcel of your life. And so that encourages us. That skeleton of our lives makes us strong when we live in the world. And today, oh, last week we put on the roof. Here's what we did, we put on the roof, right? Put the roof up. What does the roof do? What does the roof do? Come on, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. What does the roof do? Protects us, right? Protects us from the elements. You don't get rained on. So we put on the roof. And what did we talk about last week? Well, let me read to you since we did it last week. Put on the roof, which is what? But beware, don't be mesmerized by spiritual sounding talk. You don't need it. You're already okay with God. Don't listen when others try to get you to be religious. And whatever you do, don't follow the rules. Paul gives a warning here because he says, listen, if you want to protect yourself from the problems of life, then look to Christ and Christ alone. Don't try to be religious. Don't try to engage in rituals. In the ancient world, it was polytheistic. What they did was, if you believed in Jesus, that was fine. They just took a copy of Jesus and put him on the shelf next to all the other gods. That was cool. But that's not what Christ calls us to do. Christ calls us to get rid of every other idol that's in our lives, every other God, and worship Christ and Christ alone. You know, I was reading a scholar that was talking about something totally different, but he had a note in there that was very interesting this week, which is, which is this, which is in the ancient world, what people would do is that whenever they thought there was going to be a new god that was like cool, they were okay with it because they had a shelf of gods and they would literally take whatever god was new or cool or happening and put you, your god right up next to it. So if they had a god of you know, Zeus and Dionysius and Demeter, for example, in, in the Greek sense, and they had these gods up in their house or in their shrine. And somebody came by and said, what about the Christian god? Fine. I mean, even the Bible records that, records that on Mars Hill they had a statue to an unknown God, just in case, just to make sure that they covered all the bases. That's the polytheistic mindset. Some of you from other countries know what it is like to live in a polytheistic society where people just add to a God. The problem is Christ's claims are exclusive. What God asks us to do to follow Christ is to destroy all the other idols in our lives, tear them down from the shelf, and put God up and on him alone. When we don't do that, when we try to add God to the other idols, it dishonors God and it doesn't really do any good. So here's the thing. Today we're going to talk about what? Today we're going to put up the sheetrock and the stucco. We want to be able to tell everybody what kind of house we are. People don't see the foundation when they drive by, people don't see the two by fours that hold up the frame when they drive by. What do people see? They see the walls. They see the walls. They see what you put on the wall. Well, we're going to talk about what we put on the wall in a couple of weeks. But today, we're going to look at the sheetrock. We're going to look at the stucco itself. There it is. There's some guys. Hey, you know what? They're cheating because they're using a nail gun. We're not going to use a nail gun. We're actually going to hammer the sheetrock up, Seth. We're going to hammer the sheetrock up this morning, and we're going to get it up there, okay? There you go. There's your, there's your hand motion for the day. All right. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 17. If you want to open up your Bibles there, we're going to look at this. You can look it up in your iPhone your droid, whatever you may have, your print Bible, your clay tablet, your papery, your scroll. Those are bad jokes, I'm sorry. Your iPhone is sufficient or your paper Bible. Colossians chapter three, verse one through 17. Colossians chapter three, verse one through 17. Here we go. If you've been here for several weeks, start thinking about this. What are the details and what are the framework? Because if you've been here for a couple of weeks, you should be able to start telling what parts of the letter of Paul are the structure parts and what parts are the detail parts? Like, Let me give you some examples. Here's what Paul says. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. Is that detail or is that structure at this point? Come on, first service was totally weenie and nobody would shout out. What is it? Structure or detail? You got a 50-50 chance. That's good odds, 50-50. Structure, right, that's structure. Why? Because it's talking about the main things, keeping the main things, the main things. Now, let's talk about, we'll move on and we'll see some detail. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Okay, what is that? details right why is it a detail because it is explaining it is giving legs to it is giving examples of the fact that we don't live that way anymore because we have christ in us listen people will flip open the bible all the time and they'll just surface read it and they'll get to this because this is the easier part and they'll say they'll read the part that says don't do this do this don't do this do this and they'll totally blow the context of the passage why because they're reading it thinking this is just a list of things to do and do not do. That's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying here is that when we, live, when we live our lives for Christ, that we will become a different person. There are going to be implications of becoming a different person. We're just not taking things out and putting things in because they're in the Bible, but because we're on, trying to honor Christ with our life. There is a big difference. All right. And number, number six, let's go on, verse six. Because of these things, the anger of God is coming used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language, for example. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature, okay? So all these things, this old nature, you're going to be done with. Why? Because the house you're building doesn't reflect that old nature. What's the house you're building? It's founded on what? Who Jesus is and what he did. What is it it built with? It's built with the timbers of Christ living in us. We have a roof that protects us, which is we're not going to listen to all the religious talk in our world. We're not going to feel bad because someone prays 8,000 times bowing down to some idol or in some direction. That doesn't matter to us. We're going to honor Christ and Christ alone. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, or free. doesn't matter your class, your ethnicity, your gender. None of those things matter. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults, and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Again, he's talking about the people more in the church as far as being bound together than he is outside the church. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. Okay, let's break it down. We're going to look at mostly the structure, look at a couple different principles that are in here, look at some structural things. Here, all right, number one, we need to focus on heavenly things. Paul says here that our desire and our goal in life is to be able to focus on heavenly things. Now, here's the interesting thing, because when we read this on the surface level, it doesn't really give us the right idea about what Paul is meaning here. And I mean that even for myself, because it's a challenge to understand this particular sentence. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. So what Paul is saying here is that, listen, if we're going to live our lives this way, we need to be able to focus on heavenly things. Don't focus on earthly things. One of the struggles that we all face is the fictions of this life. What are some of the fictions of this life? Well, if we become rich, we'll be happy. If we become successful, it will take care of everything else. If we become famous, it's going to be awesome. I mean, having my picture on People magazine cover would be awesome, right? That would take care of all my problems. But we know if we look at actually most of the tabloids, it doesn't take care of really a lot of problems. It creates problems creates problems how many of you know somebody and, and first service didn't didn't react well to this they didn't, they didn't echo this i'm not sure if they were asleep or what so this may be my experience but in my experience have you ever known someone whose sole goal in life was to become rich to work their way up to being rich okay in my experience what happens if they achieve their goal are they happy do they live their lives and, and graciously give to other people no what do they do they're just as much as a ugly skin flint as they ever were they're just an old ugly skin flint now instead of being a younger one you know it's kind of we accept it when you're 20 and you're working hard to make a buck but when you're 80 and you've got tons of money in the bank and you're still out there every day working working you're working 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 and you just can't give anybody anything or do anything nice with your money and you believe you're going to stuff your coffin when you pass from this world and it's going to make a difference what good does that do that's a fiction that's a lie but we all live, we all, we all are surrounded by the desire and the temptation to live a life of fiction, to live a life. What are some other fictions that occur in our world? What are some other fictions? Anybody want to shout out a fiction that they deal with? What's a fiction? Looking good. Okay, good. Good example. That we can spend a lot of time on beauty. We can spend a lot of time, and, it's not, and we're going to talk about, the, we're not going to be extremists on either side here, but to chase after beauty to try to make sure that you are using that beauty to get what you want, because that's usually what comes with that. It's a fiction, because beauty dies just like everything else. There are some things in our world that are reality, but there are a lot of things in our world that are fiction. Part of being a Christian is to recognize the difference between reality and fiction and live our lives with the reality, not fiction. Money is the easy one. It's fiction. God is reality, that is something that will have an eternal value in our lives. Let me give you some examples. Paul writes that there is little of value in our world. That's the problem. In our world today, there is little of value. Things like money and success and fame and popularity and desires and lust and, and all these other things that Paul lists exam- as examples, those things do not have eternal value. They do not have eternal value. Why? Because they don't change anything. They don't make a difference in our lives. They, don't, they cannot heal us. They cannot put us right with God they can't even put us right together some of us have tried to buy our relatives how many of you tried to buy your relatives usually you're not very successful in doing that you know what i mean buy our relatives you know make sure that you give them the biggest christmas present every year because it's from you so maybe they'll do oh wait is this i scratch your back you scratch mine no nobody knows the way that works in our world today that's something a long time ago we don't do that anymore today right but unfortunately that's the fiction in our world Paul writes there's little value in our world. Now, let me give some extremes. Because one of the problems in the church is that the church can, unfortunately, get tricked into extreme. One extreme is what? Is that the world has all of its value. But if you're here today and you're a believer in Christ, you probably already know that the world is not going to have the best value for you. But uh, unfortunately, one of the things that does happen is what? Is sometimes people in the church will go the other way and say that there is absolutely no value in the world. But that also would be false. Why is there some value in the world? Because whatever God is a part of is a value. Listen, if I do, if I try to reach out, William, if, you know, let's say William has a really bad day and he's struggling. And so I reach out to him and, you know, I try to show love and care and concern for his life. Does that have value? Yes, it does have value. Why? Because it's what Christ asked me to do and it has value because it makes a difference in his life it can heal his life. It can heal the day that he's having. It can make a huge difference in his life. This does not mean there's nothing of value. Like, let me give you an example. Can I give examples so no one would be fooled here? What is this? Does anybody know what this is? Yeah, well, yeah, it is a bus. That's right. You get an A. Good job. All right, this is Family Radio out of Oakland. These guys are saying that the end of the world's come and win. May 21st, and they, of course, they're ginning up a lot of publicity, and they did what? They, they claimed to be Christian, they sold all their money, because there's nothing of value in this world, and they bought these trucks and vans, and they're going to go tell everybody the end of the world's coming. First of all, in the, in, the end of the world's not coming. But if it were, if it were, I got nothing to fear. Why? Because I'm right with God. But you know what? We look around in our world and it proves that the end of the world's coming. I mean, look at the tsunamis and the earthquakes and all those things. They prove the end of the world. Oh, wait, maybe they prove global warming. Or maybe they prove, I don't know, it could prove anything. But people use that to lead other people astray. Listen, May 21st, not the end of the world. And I only mention that here because I know that it's so close, this cult is so close by that many of us are tempted to follow their ideas. May 21st, I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to hug my kids, have breakfast with them. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to work really hard, 20 hours for the church. I'm going to come back, spend some time with the kids at night, go to bed. That's going to be May 21st. May 22nd, I'm going to wake up. You know why? Because I know that God has value for your life here today. It's not value in money. It's not value in success. But every single day that you wake up is a day that you can use to serve God. It's a day that you can love other people. It's a day that you can feed someone. It's a day that you can clothe someone. It's a day that you can tell someone about Jesus. Every day that you have is a day that can be filled with value depending upon what you fill the day with. So you don't need to believe in end times and and meteors and destruction of the earth on May 21st because that's baloney. And you know what? That guy will lead. I mean, he's already predicted in the world several times. People like this just lead people astray. Just lead people astray. It's as simple as that. So here's the thing. What are the things of heaven to put in on your wall? We're talking about putting up the sheetrock and the stucco of our lives. So what are the things that we want on the wall of our lives? What are the things that when we build the house that Paul has asked us to build, what do we want other people to see? Well, Paul here says what? That we should have things of heaven, that our lives should be focused on things of heaven, not things of the earth. Now, that's tricky, and I'm going to tell you why it's tricky. When Paul says here we should focus on things of heaven, it's easy for us to do What? Start thinking about, well, does he mean like come to church and give money and stuff like that? Not in this case. Not in this case. What is he talking about? Well, he introduces this idea by talking about who Christ is, Christ seated on the throne and that with our hearts and our minds that we should focus on things of heaven. What is he saying? He's saying that, listen, that for our lives to be right and to demonstrate who we are supposed to be, we need to what? Look to Christ every day of our lives. We need to look to Christ every single day and honor him every single day. That when we wake up in the morning, we need to ask ourselves, who is Christ? Who is God? What can I do for them? What can I do to honor God today? You know, hopefully if you're married here, you wake up in the morning and you give some thought to how you can make your spouse happy today. How you can show love to your spouse. It's the same way. If we love God, we'll wake up in the morning saying, God, what can I do to serve you today? What are the things that you're calling me to do today? What are the things that I need today? What are the things of heaven that we're supposed to focus on? It starts and is based on our relationship with Christ. It starts and is based on our relationship with Christ. Again, it comes down to what? Relationship. It comes down to that relationship. We may try to do things and we may be sidetracked by rituals, but those rituals do no good. It is only our relationship with Christ that makes any difference. Okay, so let's talk about these things of heaven a little bit more. Paul says that in order to do this, we must wash off any earthly crud on you. I didn't know how to be PG, uh, junk, stuff, crud. Okay, sorry. Um, But all this yuckiness that we have on ourselves that prevent us from living our lives the way that God wants us to live. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person's idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God has coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language, other things. This is, this is not an exhaustive list. It is just some of the things that we're going to talk about. Did not anything that is not a part of the new life. Now, the, the idea here in the Bible is that we will be able to with practice and with the Holy Spirit working in us that we will put to death anything in our lives we will get rid of, we will bury, we will be done with anything in our lives that doesn't reflect Christ. Now let's be honest and break this down here for a second because there are two lies. What are one of the lies? The lie that the world teaches, the fiction the world teaches is what? If it feels good, do it. It's okay. I mean, you were created, You're, you're guys, you're hunter-gatherers and one woman is just not enough for you. You have the feeling, you have the emotion, just go for it, just do it. It's OK, that's the, way you're, that's the way you evolved. That's the way you came from. You're a hunter-gatherer. Hunt, gather, enjoy it. Why is that a fiction of the world? Doesn't honor God, doesn't honor your wife. Didn't anything that is not a part of your new life? Listen, those things that we do that glorify ourselves does no good. But the other lie is what? The other lie that's sometimes told in religious circles is that if you work hard enough. You do enough rituals, you say a prayer enough times, you go through the motions enough that you'll be what? You won't have any struggles anymore. You'll be perfect. But why is that a lie? Because the world we live in is broken and there's nothing you or I can do to fix it. There's nothing we can do to fix it. The world is broken and our lives ultimately are broken as well. And so listen, everyone here, let's just be honest. I'll start with me and then we'll work to you. Every one of us here has evil desires in our lives. I do, you do. Everyone us here struggles with lust. I do, you do. Every one of us here has struggles that we have. We all have temptations we face. Hey, what's your poison? My poison is not your poison because you know what? Greed may not be a big struggle for me, but lust may be a big struggle for me and vice versa for you. Lust may not be a big struggle for you, but greed may be a big struggle for you. Every person has evil desires. We're all tempted to it. Paul doesn't say, don't ever have evil desires. What does he do? He says, didn't it. What he means is take it and put it, get rid of it, bury it in the ground, be done with it. Put it aside, get rid of it. Tell it, get out of my life. Listen, as a believer in Christ who tries to live my life every day for Christ, not perfect, but been doing it for a while now, for a long time. Seriously doing it for a long time. I can tell you that there's never going to be a day where I'm alive that I'm not going to have evil desires that try to tempt me. In fact, sometimes the evil desires will come totally out of left field. Like I'll be driving along and the enemy will put some crazy idea in my mind. Like, where'd it come from? Get out of here. It's just the way our broken, sinful nature works. But what do we do? Do we entertain it? Do we enjoy it? Do we think about it? Do we say, well, it's a victimless crime. It's not going to hurt anybody if nobody finds out. No, we put it to death. Why? Because it dishonors God. It dishonors God. Didn't anything that is not a part of the new life. Listen, why are you living in the past? Why do you live in the past? Why, hey, you know what? One of the I told, I told first, I want to go pick on the guys. I'm a guy. It's easier for me to pick on the guys. But you know what, guys? Let me just pick on the guys for a second. But ladies, you're not off the hook either. What happens when we get married? We're tempted to do what? Most of the younger guys I counsel who, get, who just got married, they're doing what? They live as if they're still single you got to do what honors your wife. Why? Because you've changed. You're you married now. And so listen, anything that's not a part of your new life, Paul says, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Paul lists are just examples. They're not exhaustive. I want to be clear here because many times people become very myopic about this part of the Bible. They read a couple things. They say, aha, you struggle with greed. I don't struggle with greed. You're a sinner and I'm not. Wrong. Wrong. Bad attitude too. Wrong, why? Because these are not exhaustive. Exhaustive means complete, everything. They're just some examples. We could say pride, right? Paul says, do not be greedy because greedy means you're an idolater because you love the things of this world. But you could say, don't be prideful. Why? Because prideful says you're a what? Come on, it's not hard. If you're greedy, it shows that you're an idolater because you worship money. If you're prideful, it shows you are a... Thank you, idolater. Idolater. Because you what? Worship yourself. It's the same thing. These are just examples that Paul gives. The goal is to do what? The goal is to live like Christ. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to live like Christ so other people will see that you live like Christ so that you honor God. And put on new clothes of graceful love. Now, I know as a guy, the words grace and tenderly. You know, the Bible uses the word tenderly. And when I, I, I originally had tenderly in my notes and I thought, that's just too weeny to put up there because all the men will think tenderly. I mean, that's not, I'm not a tender guy, but tender is hard because God asks us to be graceful in our love to other people, to be caring, to be concerned about other people. Can you be masculine and be concerned about other people? Yes, you can. Can you be feminine and be concerned about other people? Yes, you can. It's not an issue of who you are. It's an issue of who you're living for that really makes a difference. Listen, we demonstrate our faith when we we live in peace. You know, Paul lists some examples there of good things that we can do, but one of them is, is peace. I mean, how many times do we go to work and we're tempted to just go off on the coworker who's always screwing everything up? Anybody feel that way? Some of us, right? We're tempted to get back at our coworker because of what they did to us. But if Christ lives in us, then the, the walls of our life will be what? They will be barren of hate. They will be barren of things that hurt other people. We will be willing to forgive, we'll be willing to love, we'll be willing to care for other people. Why? Because that shows who Christ is and that honors God. You cannot honor God if you're attacking your coworker. You cannot honor God if you're ridiculing your neighbor or your, or your relative. You cannot honor God unless you are giving every single person the opportunity to be loved in the way that Christ would love them. Now, is it perfect? Are we going to be perfect? No, we're not going to be perfect. But we try every day to, when we get up to do what? Do religious rituals or what? No, to live a life that honors God. To live a life that honors God. This is hard. Why? Because if I just give you 50 prayers to go and pray, you'll be happy. You know why? Because you'll, I can't believe he told me I had to pray this many prayers. But you'll do them like clockwork. You'll get them done, mark it off your list, job well done, pat yourself on the back and everything will be okay. What God asks you to do every day is much the real God ask you to do which is much more difficult is to live a life of reality not fiction which is what to wake up in the morning and say today is the day i'm going to honor god with my life and that's harder than giving you a list of rituals and rigmarole to do with all of our words and actions we reflect christ in our lives so here's the thing finish up real quickly here here's the thing as christians we like to say that god works in our lives and that people outside the church cannot see christ they only see us you want to know why paul tells us why see christ lives in us doesn't he but christ living us is the framework of the house when you drive by you can't see the framework of the house can you you can't see the foundation what do you see you see the walls and the stucco more than anything else you see the exterior appearance and you know what The exterior appearance, Paul says here is what? In Colossians, when he develops the letter is what? The exterior appearance is how we live our lives. People will not know necessarily that Christ lives in you, but how you live your lives, how you serve God every single day, that you are people of peace, that you are people of love, that you are people of care, and that you are people of concern will make the walls of your life, will make the house that you live in look different than everybody else's house. And the result of it, they're going to want to know, Why is your house built differently than everybody else's house? Why is your house built differently than everybody else's house? But when people in the church do what? They live their lives apart from Christ. They live their lives by ritual. They live their lives by religion. They live their lives by doing what they want to do. They live their lives by, well, it didn't hurt anybody. It's a victimless crime. When we live our lives that way, then the stucco of our lives says what? The wallpaper of our lives, the walls of our lives says that we're no different than anybody else. We are just another house along another street, along another town, in another city. And there is nothing different, or nothing special in our lives, even though Christ may dwell in our hearts and in our lives. So here's the thing. Here's Colossians. We're only week seven, but here it is. Paul says to everybody, hey, everybody, I'm Paul. I haven't met you, but you're in Colossae. And God has inspired me to write a letter to you so that you may know how to live your lives for God. So first thing we're going to do is we're going to clear the ground. We're going to clear the ground. What's clear in the ground? We are a Christian now. We are a believer now. We made a commitment to God. That's a starting place we're clearing the ground. Next step is we're going to do what? We're going to open up the plans. We're going to open up the plans and we're going to look and see what God wants us to do. What does Paul says God wants us to do? He wants us to build a life that honors God. He wants us to build a life that honors God. We're going to put down the foundation because that's the most critical part of the house. We're going to build the formwork. Formwork is what? That Christ is God in flesh. And then we're going to pour the concrete, pour the concrete in the foundation. And it's what? Is that Christ sacrificed for you. You don't have to sacrifice for God. He did all the work. You just have to trust in him and live your life every day to honor that sacrifice. And then what? We're gonna build the house now. We're gonna put down the two by fours. We're gonna put up the framework. The framework is what? That Christ lives in you. That's the skeleton. That's what makes you survive every single day is that Christ dwells inside of you and you have personal relationship with him. And then Paul says, let's get the roof up now so the rain and the elements and everything doesn't destroy your life. What are the things that can destroy your life? Believing the fictions of this world, believing in the false philosophies, the false religions, the false rituals of this world. Listen, you can't earn your way. You can't just go and worship another god on Friday and everything be okay. You've got to choose which god you're going to worship. And then you've got to say enough. No more bowing down to statues, even if it's a Christian statue. No more bowing down to statues. No more serving other idols, whether that idol be an idol to a Christian saint, whether that idol be to money, whether that idol be to anything else. And today, as we learn what? We're gonna wrap the house with the walls, with the stucco, and the walls is what? How we live our lives. That's what people see. People see the walls. People see the outside. They see the exterior. They see the walls, and our walls are gonna say what? We're gonna live in peace. We're gonna live in love. We're gonna care for other people. And our secret is what? Our secret is we can do it because Christ lives in us. He is the framework for our lives. That's what allows us to have lives that demonstrate who Christ is by our peace, by our love, and by our forgiveness. That's Colossians. That's it. Let's pray.